a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies, they're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome to the show. So glad you could join me today. I got a great message to share, actually a number of great messages to share, but first I want to uh, welcome Alta Bank as one of the sponsors of our show. And this is going to be particularly of interest to my listeners in Utah. Alta Bank is a mortgage lender, and I'll have more to tell you about them in the in the upcoming segments. But uh, again, welcome. I appreciate their support. I appreciate you tuning in today to see uh, to see what's running through this old brain bucket of mine. And I, I found a, an essay yesterday from Kent McManigal that really spoke to me. And, and I'm hoping that this is a message that you can benefit from as well. I, I know I can't be the only person who feels the frustration and sometimes the discouragement of trying to maintain my freedom in an unfree world. And sometimes it feels like it's just getting more unfree by the day. And, and the, the thing that adds to that frustration, I guess this is probably the primary source of the frustration, is so much of it seems like it's, it's really out of our control. I mean, you know, the intrigue right now, we're following the, the electoral college, we're following the Texas election lawsuit, and all of the, the stuff that hangs over us like a question mark. And, and it's not to say that it can't affect our freedom, but I want you to hear Kent McManigal's message. His article is titled, Feeling a Little Extra Freedom Lately. And I really like his approach. I think this is helpful. It helped me. Maybe it'll help you. He says, did you just feel a little extra breeze of freedom? He says, I felt it. Why would I feel freer or a bit freer than I did a couple of months ago? How could this happen? Well, the answer is it's mental freedom. Freedom from caring what the government does or says. Now listen to where he's coming from. He says, government stopped pretending to play by the rules which apply to it. The compliance of the people depends on government living within the rules. That's part of what's meant by the consent of the governed. This consent requires an appearance of legitimacy. It's gone. And he says, also gone is any concern over being scolded by the diehards still trying to play the rigged game. He says, some people will never face reality. They're making it harder on themselves. Now, Kent McManigal says, look, I have a head start on them since I stopped believing in political government and withdrew any implied consent to be governed decades ago. I can still be bullied by those who claim to govern us, but I see them as common bullies. Nothing more. And he says, I'm also free of any illusion of the importance of voting. There's nothing anyone can say to overcome the reality exposed by the election of 2020. As political observers throughout history have pointed out, it doesn't matter who votes or how they vote. All that matters is who gets to count the votes. And he says it also matters whether courts decide it's more important to keep a veil of legitimacy around the whole system or it's safer to hand the office to those who threaten to riot if they don't get what they want. Maybe the courts would rather keep them calm to avoid social disorder in urban areas. He says, in the past, I suspected elections went to whoever cheated the hardest. 
Now I suspect this new policy means future elections may go to whichever party makes the scariest threats. This suggests a new strategy for third parties who so far have been denied a seat at the table. The Libertarian Party is still at a serious disadvantage since its foundation rests on a principled rejection of aggression and respect for property rights. That's a good point. (laughs) Now he says the process, the system, has lost any credibility it may have once had. From now on, though, he says, I can ignore or ridicule the campaigns as I see fit without the slightest twinge of guilt. However things turn out, government's own behavior has freed us from any responsibility to care what it does or decrees. And he says, this is liberating. Do you feel it too? Now, I'll grant you, for some people, that's going to sound like, well, that sounds like an anarchist, you know, carrying on there. Some guy who thinks he's a law unto himself. I see something a little more nuanced and actually more admirable in what he's saying here. And and bear with me for a moment. You don't have to agree with this, but let me try to at least make the case of what, what I hear him saying and why I think it's worth considering. The number one thing he points out is government has stopped pretending that it plays by the rules. And no matter how this election shakes out, no matter what the Supreme Court decides to do or not do, That is going to be the takeaway. And and I promise you, for at least half the country, at least half the voters in the country, the lesson is going to be, it doesn't matter what we do. The system is going to be used against us. So if if you can, can approach it from that vantage point and look at it and say, okay, it's a rigged game. At one time, those in authority pretended like, oh, yes, you know, we're going to follow this rule and the decorum and blah, 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 our rectitude, blah, blah, blah. They stopped pretending. And that means if they're breaking their part of the contract, which is to, to they look, they swear an oath, okay? It's not like, well, now you're just asking a lot of them. No, they voluntarily swear an oath. It's not done at bayonet point. It's not done at gunpoint. They swear an oath to uphold the Constitution, which is the document, that the legal agreement, the contract that called them and the government or their office and their government into existence and gave the upper limits of their power. And if they're saying, well, we're really not bound by that or it's, it's whatever we say it is, they've broken their part of the contract. They've broken their oath. They've broken their vow to operate in our interests for the purpose of protecting our inalienable rights. So it's not a matter of two wrongs make a right. It's a matter of, look, they've broken the contract. That means we are not obligated to follow whatever they say out of some sense of, well, you know, they're legitimate. They're not legitimate. That's the point. So, yeah, in answer to a Kent McManagle's question, I do feel a little extra breeze of freedom. Mental freedom. Freedom from caring what government says or does. Now, this doesn't mean you bury your head in the sand. But can we at least take, take the, the, a moment here just to consider, politics is only one small part of our lives, or at least it should be. If, if you're purely a political animal, you're missing out on the chance of a very multifaceted and fulfilling existence because it ain't the sum total of why we're here on this planet. Think of all the other things 
that contribute to your well-being and your life, family, community, church, your education, media, and I mean, you know, arts, entertainment, business. These are things all outside of government that have tremendous influence on our lives because they're institutions. And it's okay to put some focus, in fact, to put more focus on some of these areas because they're the ones that really matter. You can survive without government. You can govern yourself. I guess the point is, you know, if, if the system's broken and people are like, well, who's going to rule us? Why do you think you need to be ruled in the first place? It's your job to rule yourself. I mean, I don't, look, I don't want to, you know, drop, you know, or appeal to authority here or start dropping names, but I think Confucius actually uh, had, had the right idea thousands of years ago. Confucius made the point that, look, if you wanted order in your kingdom, the wise men first would rectify their own hearts. They would get their own hearts in order, their inarticulate thoughts in order. Having set their own heart in order, they would then go about setting their own household in order. Once they'd set their households in order, then they could look at getting their community in order. As their communities were were put in order, their kingdom would be put in order. But the point is, it starts with you and me as individuals, and it starts with the mindset And if you're a person who proudly says, look, I'm not going to be governed by people who can't even follow the rules of of what they're supposed to be doing, who are ready to break their oaths, ready to break their vows. These are sacred promises. Remember how a lot it used to be you'd put your hand on the Bible when you took these oaths. That's serious stuff. Even if you don't believe in God, that's that's a pretty serious act because essentially you're swearing before God. I'm going to be true. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to uphold these these promises. So if they're not doing that, you don't need to hang your head in shame at the prospect of, well, I'm not exactly bound by that agreement either. Now understand, there's some risk in doing your own thing. You catch their attention, yeah, they're going to try to make an example of you and say, well, you have to follow us. You have to. Just remember, the biggest battle for freedom is the one that's fought in between our ears. And even a person locked in solitary confinement can be more free than his captors because of the right mental attitude. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Yeah, I'm striking a little bit of a defiant tone today, but I'm not going to apologize for it because I, I think it is absolutely our prerogative as free men and, and women. We should be okay with saying, you know what? I'm going to be free. You do what you want to do, you know, to, to whomever, whether it's your governor or whether it's your mayor, whether it's the, the president is saying, well, you have to do this. Ultimately, the final decision of whether or not to comply is right there in your hands and my hands. And I think any decent person, that is someone who lives by the golden rule, who actually treats people the way they would want to be treated, 
They're not going to run into trouble. They're not going to go around violating people's rights and aggressing against others or committing fraud. You're not going to hurt people. You're not going to take their stuff because you have respect for them. And you don't need a gun stuck in your back the whole time. Now, you will do this or else. But unfortunately, there are people within government who feel like, no, no, that's, that's the only reason people behave. It's the fear of being punished. I love uh, the, the series Firefly. It was a, you know, it was cut short. It was only half a season long. Good gravy. It was almost 20 years ago that this, uh, that this series was airing on Fox. But I love the uh, premise of the series, which is, look, there's a, there's a war of unification. That is a hostile takeover. And the, the planets, the Federation of, of Planets, it's all human beings, um, decide we need to enforce this unification on all the planets where people live. And it was mandatory. Something that uh, we have a little bit of experience with. And so there's a war. And the resistance, the brown coats, lost. So they were forcibly unified under the, the alliance. And anyway, the, the premise of the show is there's a, there's a starship. It's a, it's a cargo ship. But essentially, they, uh, they are like the ultimate libertarians in the sense that uh, they don't really have a home other than their ship. They go about doing odd jobs and staying a step ahead of the alliance but they do it because they would rather be uncomfortable and free than living in comfortable slavery. One of the best lines of the entire series, which was actually a motion picture made from the series called Serenity, is where the, uh, the misdeeds of the Alliance are uncovered, and they are serious. We're talking genocidal misdeeds in an attempt to try to make people better. And Captain Malcolm Reynolds, who is the... Uh, the protagonist of this series, when the truth is known, decides it is time, I'm going to bring this information to the awareness of everybody within the reachable universe. I'm going to send it out and make sure that everybody knows what the government has been doing. And the great line that he gives is he says, I aim to misbehave. And that line has resonated with me since the first time I saw the show. It resonates with me now, but... There comes a point where you have to ask yourself, okay, when is the time for misbehaving? Well, it so happens there's an excellent essay published this morning on lewrockwell.com. Larry L. Bean is the author. And he's specifically speaking to Christians and those of Judeo-Christian principles about a time for misbehaving. So rather than, you know, we're all going to become, uh, we're all going to be bad guys and, you know, become outlaws. You might be an outlaw in the sense that the law doesn't want you to live freely and therefore has outlawed your freedom. That doesn't make you a bad person. But there is a time for misbehaving, and this is something I think every one of us is going to have to face on an individual basis sooner rather than later. Now, interestingly enough, <clears throat> the article says this is a prescient read, especially considering that the book, A Time for Anger, from which the following is quoted, this is chapter 9, and it's the conclusion of the book, was written back in 1982, long before the Internet, long before smartphones and social media, decades before Obergefell, COVID, and world leaders openly talking about some great global reset of the world's entire social, political, and economic system. 
It was written at a time when our churches were still well attended, when Ronald Reagan was overwhelmingly elected to two terms, and a Soviet communism and its sway over Eastern Europe were tottering. Now, unfortunately, the author of this uh, book, Frank Schaefer, has since renounced his faith and surrendered to the very enemy that he spoke against, which makes his warnings all the more worth reading today. And the italics in this article, and I'll have it linked in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com, these are a part of the original text. A Time for Misbehaving. It says, Christians and those of Judeo-Christian principle have been far too well behaved in the recent past. Every person of true moral principle is on a collision course with the modern, inhuman, technological state and society in which we live. Every person of true moral principle should be prepared to stand and fight against this brave new world. The Jews have endured state and often religious persecution throughout history for not abandoning their principles. The early Christians went to the lions rather than transgress God's law and bow to a secular power. They were rebels, but the Romans saw them as having committed acts of civil disobedience. Christ himself died rather than compromise. All he had to say to the high priest was that he was not God, or he could have renounced his claim to be a king before the Romans, and he would have gone free. Atrocities unthinkable a few years ago go on today with the state sanction. Remember, this was written in 1982. And more are in the offing. Why is there such roaring, massive silence on the part of those who should know better? Abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, and a deliberate assault on the family structure are realities. The continued curbing of religious freedom grinds on. They are part of our world, no matter how we pretend otherwise. Writing in Commentary Magazine in April of 1982, Norman Ravitch speaks of the Christian involvement in society in today in the following terms, quote, Like the proverbial poor Greeks who survive by taking in one another's wash, Theologians and scholars in religious studies write primarily for one another. Seldom does the import of their labors have any effect on the consciousness of Christian believers or on the wider educated public. End quote. Think about what he just said there. Are we preaching to the choir? I know I'm probably doing it right now, but consider what he's saying. The silence, non-involvement, studious scholarship, and other tactics used by Christians to avoid involving themselves in society around them must stop. Evangelists and theologians who hide behind evangelical work or theology, as Ravitch says, their tendency to write in a private language for merely for one another, must stop. We must once again commit ourselves to a robust view of truth. Religious people must once again become involved in every area of life— Politics, law, medicine, family life, education, science, the media, and the arts. We must provide the example of an alternative way of living by placing our children and their care before our own ambitions and materialism. And then he asks, where are our champions? The ACLU and other elitist civil libertarian absolutists never rest. Christian lawyers have often been too intent on holding theoretical seminars and fellowshipping together. The arrogant attitude of the abortion-rich medical profession grows more and more inhuman day by day. The abortion clinics hack babies apart and burn them with saline solutions. Where are the Christian champions of medicine as a vocation? A healing science, one that fights to save life. The so-called pluralistic politician and judge more towards greater and greater control of the citizenry. Where are the Christian men and women to stand up and fight in the political arena without compromise? The 
The public educational system turns our generation and generation of baffled, rootless, religiously neutered neo-barbarians who've been taught there are no moral absolutes. They've been delivered by that system into the hands of such persons as Planned Parenthood's high priests and instructed in their pitiful religion of do your own thing. Where is the Christian counterattack on these modern-day death camps? Where have we been and what will we do now to save our country and the rest of Western civilization from the future that bioengineers and power-hungry ethicists have in store? We must choose between a secular Caesar, the bondage and death of an all-powerful state, with the most powerful techniques of control ever known at its disposal, or the God of the Old and New Testaments. The alternative to standing up and taking action finds expression in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 11. For how long, O Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. A little later the solution comes. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a sanctuary. Now, the evidence in our own day is that faith without deeds is useless, surrounds us everywhere. Having accepted the myth of neutrality, the opposition's lie, we've given over the battlefield to the enemy, and they have run rampant. Ours has been a religion of faith without deeds for too long. It's time that mighty deeds be done again. Truth equals confrontation. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome back to the show. I am so glad that uh, you are part of my growing audience, and I hope you will take the time to visit my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. There you will find links to all the different essays I share. You'll find links to connect you with the guests that I have on this program. You'll also find links to connect you to my sponsors, and I want to welcome Alta Bank on board. This is my friend John Staples, who is a mortgage professional in every sense of the word, and I just want you to know that uh, this is a great time, whether you are looking for a new mortgage or you are looking for a refinance. He was telling me about the interest rates last night, and oh my goodness, it's it, this is really an opportune time if you're looking for a refinance. Low-cost refinance, free appraisals uh, all through this month. I want you to get in touch with John at Alta Bank. The link is included at the end of my show notes. It's a link to his email. You can contact him directly, or if you uh, want to memorize this or write it down, john.staples at altabank.com. Your best bets go to the show notes, and then uh, contact John from there. All right. Let's move on in terms of uh, what shall we talk about. Let's talk about the Electoral College. You know that all eyes right now are kind of focused on what's going to happen. Isn't it Monday that the Electoral College is supposed to meet and, and cast their votes? And yet we still have this pending Supreme Court case. I don't know how that's going to shake out. I don't know if it's going to be resolved or kicked down the road this weekend. But the bottom line is there's a lot of interest of what's going to be going on with the Electoral College come next week. And for some people, you know, the frustration over, well, why don't we have a solution already? Why don't we have resolution to this election? It's, it's kind of fertile ground for that, uh, well, maybe we should get rid of the Electoral College, and then we wouldn't be so frustrated. 
And I guess I kind of understand. Look, I, I want it night, neatly tied up with a bow on top and, you know, done. Preferably election night, you know, preferably before my bedtime. And by the way, I go to bed pretty early. So, you know, if you could knock that out by nine o'clock, that'd be great. But that ain't how it's happening. And we're seeing this year, I think we're seeing the wisdom of the founding fathers in giving us an electoral college rather than just simply going by, yeah, yeah, we'll elect the president by popular vote. You know, they didn't do this to make our lives difficult or to complicate things. They did this to make sure that the separation of powers was something that was preserved within our government. There's a reason why senators at the federal level were not initially elected directly. They were appointed or otherwise elected by state legislatures. And the genius of that is you, you have this, uh, this secondary house of the legislative branch, this upper chamber, if you will, that had direct accountability to the states. And that's where their loyalty was. They had accountability and had to report to the states, here's what's going on. They represented the interests of those states. And with the 17th Amendment, their loyalty shifted from the states to the federal government. It's been over 100 years, and we've been paying the price ever since. But the original idea was there for a good reason, as it is with the election of the president being the product of the Electoral College rather than the popular vote. I don't know a nice way to say this, so I'm just going to be blunt. The masses are pretty easy to fool. If you can just whip people up into some kind of an emotional frenzy, it's a pretty safe bet you can stampede them in a direction of your choosing. But see, with senators, you at least had a six-year term, so you weren't electing them, you know, every other year, as you do with the House of Representatives. With the president, it's a four-year term. Anyway, I see the genius of the founders, but as far as the Electoral College goes... We are going to hear more and more cries, and I think this is going to be regardless of how the election outcome turns out. People are going to be saying, let's get rid of this thing. It's a relic. Thomas Luongo, in a piece published on LewRockwell.com earlier today, makes the case for more electoral college. He says, for the past 20 years, we've been assaulted by the Marxist left in the U.S. about how terrible the electoral college is. In their quest for a purely egalitarian society, you know, one without enforceable rules, culture, sexes, or differences of any kind, everybody's equal, the Electoral College represents the ultimate thwarting of their intentions to rule through mobocracy. He says it's been a long and winding road through the institutions for these Marxists, undermining our educational system, media, government bureaucracies, and buying off and electing government officials to stepwise push the U.S. to the brink of takeover. That's where we are today. And the only thing that stands between a fraudulent popular vote and a Biden as proxy for Davos presidency is the election is the electoral college. Rather, he says this is the essence of Trump's legal challenges to the vote in the states where the rules were gamed to ensure a victory, regardless of who actually showed up to the polls on November 3rd. That much is clear, even to the most compromised of judges and election officials who've thrown out cases with obvious merit on the flimsiest of legal grounds. Like the ruling in Michigan against Sidney Powell, where the judge all but admitted the fraud, but struck down the case with prejudice because of timing and disenfranchisement. Thomas Luongo says, but last I checked, our legal system is predicated on a bad law or rule causing material harm before suit can, the suit can be brought forth. 
Our system doesn't allow for potential harm, only challenging the law after it's actually harmed someone. Once the ballot, only once the ballots were cast, the vote counted and the election certified, in the words of U.S. District Judge Linda V. Parker, could there be a legal basis for voters being harmed by the way the election was conducted. Only then could a suit be brought forth. Bring the suit too early and there's no basis for material harm. Bring the suit after the vote and the judge rules its disenfranchisement. you got to love the rhetorical backflips people do to justify their confirmation bias. Now, he says, I do agree with Judge Parker, however, that Powell may have brought forth a case she expected to lose with the intention of undermining the validity of our electoral process. Because, in fact, the electoral process is subject to massive fraud with incentives to rig and or game the outcome for political benefit. Luongo says, make no mistake, Republicans and Democrats both use this compromise system to their benefit when it suits them. And this, of course, begs the question, who do they actually work for? Us or someone else? And it's important with the stakes this high that as many people as possible understand what has happened in past elections, what happened last month, and what will happen in future elections if they're ever allowed to occur. Maybe that was Powell's intention in going to federal court rather than state court, where she would have had more of a chance of success per arguments from Robert Barnes. He says, which brings me back to why the Electoral College is so very important, because in theory, absent a corruptible system on a mass scale, the Electoral College is an unnecessary procedural step declaring the winner of a presidential election. But what happens when that system is obviously tainted, the people administering it motivated by the darkest impulses, and the disenfranchisement of millions of voters takes place because of the cheating? There has to be a check on that power. And the Electoral College is that check. There has to be a way for that, those that uncover fraud but are stonewalled by people with the power to define fraud, in this case, a corrupt and Byzantine judiciary, to bring that evidence forth and have the people, through the electors and their state legislatures, retain the power to decide what the real outcome of the election should be. It's not perfect. No system is. It's like two-factor authentication for, or authentication rather for uh, elections. To turn the argument of the Marxist left about guns on its head, no peaceful society needs private ownership of guns. And a truly peaceful, perfect society doesn't. Guns become a hobby for shooters, hunters, the collectors. But we don't live in a perfect society. And until we do, our guns remain the check on government overreach in the same way the Electoral College performs that check, pro forma as it may be, on election fraud and the tyranny of low-information voters. Now, back to the lawsuits. Anyone crowing about Powell's suit being thrown out needs to take a second to ponder what was said in the dismissal. Because making fraud legal doesn't make it right, nor inspire confidence. The courts are supposed to enforce the law, not interpret it. Judge Parker refused to accept the disenfranchisement of 5.5 million people in Michigan but ignored the disenfranchisement of the marginal few hundred thousand that tipped the election's result. And the selection of electors without even considering a review. That should stun you in its implication. Tyranny of the majority trumps investigation into material evidence of malfeasance. He says it's precisely because the courts have been so nakedly partisan or just plain spineless in their rulings that Texas made the most consequential move in the entire post-election wrangling. It filed a lawsuit with the Supreme Court against Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin on specific constitutional grounds 
for violating the electors' clause of the Constitution because they did not go through the legislatures when changing their standards for mail-in ballot acceptance. I don't know if this is ringing the bells in you that it is in me, but we're going to come back to this in just a few moments. Again, this is Thomas Luongo, a piece published earlier today on lewrockwell.com, lewrockwell.com. Again, it will be in the show notes, which you can access at thebrianhydeshow.com. These are the notes for Friday, December 11th. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. Talking about the Electoral College, this is a piece from Thomas Luongo, originally published in the Gold Guns and Goats newsletter. It was uh, republished today on LewRockwell.com. And it's defending why we need the Electoral College. And I know there are people, well, there was no proof, no proof whatsoever, no evidence of widespread election fraud. Yeah, keep moving those goalposts. The, the fact that there are serious questions should be enough to justify maybe we need to take a closer look. And again, if there was no fraud, you would think that the people who... Uh, who look like the winners or who at least, uh, you know, are the, the putative winners would welcome investigation. Absolutely. Let's prove this once and for all. Let's show how up in the night you guys are who think that there was something fishy going on. But that's not what's happening. They and their corrupt cronies are, you know, running interference, trying to stonewall uh, the, the media, trying to gaslight us. Well, it's a done deal. It's, it's a fait accompli. Hey, sorry, man. Don't mean to rain on your parade with a parade with a little reality, but the Electoral College has not met yet. The vote has not been certified. It's not a done deal yet. That doesn't mean that we're unhinged or just unable to accept the truth. Look, I'm looking squarely at reality. And, and based on the numbers they're reporting, it appears Biden may very well be the next president. But let's wait and see what the Electoral College actually does. Let's wait and see if this challenge in the Supreme Court has any impact on what the Electoral College does. I don't know why it's uh, such a contentious issue, unless, of course, you, you feel like, look, we've got to get the reins of power because if we don't have them, you know, they're going to use it against us, and we want to use it against them. That's a game I don't even want to play. I don't cast my vote so that it can be used as a weapon against uh, my, my opponents. I just want good representation. I want honest representation from people who will take seriously the charge to protect my inalienable rights. I know it's asking a lot. They've got better ideas. They want to rule the world. They want to rule me. I'm not a person who's easily ruled. Hopefully they figured that out. If not, they'll learn. Thomas Luongo says states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin have, for all intents and purposes, forfeited their right to be represented at the Electoral College. They've overseen sham elections not worthy of electing a high school class president, no less the, quote, leader of the free world. 
And that should have people in places like Florida and Texas incensed. They counted more votes in a matter of hours and certified the results. How far has Florida come in 20 years since Bush v. Gore? Now even corrupt counties like Broward count their ballots in a timely manner, and that's that. If it is perceived by them that a few dozen corrupt party hacks rigged their elections, why should Floridians or Texans consent to be governed by their representatives in Washington? Why should they listen to any of them say what any of them say for any reason? Why should they accept President Harris and the crazy court of jackals she'll appoint to her cabinet? Millions of Americans will be wondering why should America exist in practice if it doesn't exist in principle? That's the legacy of this election. And Luongo says this is exactly the response to the mountain of evidence about this election I was hoping to see from states like Texas. Refusal to be governed by a bunch of corrupt party apparatchiks who believe in power for power's sake and rule by theft. He says, frankly, I want Florida and other states who got their vote counts right to join with Texas here. Many have virtue signaled support for Texas, but none have signed on as plaintiffs. Actually, that has changed. There were at least six states that signed on yesterday as plaintiffs. And Luongo says, I do believe the more political pressure placed on the SCOTUS, Supreme Court of the U.S., is what's needed to get a fair hearing of this case on the merits of the law. You know, that whole fallen society thing above? This is the essence of what he means by people becoming ungovernable. And in a period of history where the thin veneer of civility on which our entire political edifice rests is being willingly ripped away to reveal naked power grabs, it's even more important everyone on all sides of the political divide understand the stakes here. Listen to this. He nails it. This isn't about Trump or Biden winning the election. Fraud of this magnitude is unacceptable. Cheating of this size and scope cannot be countenanced, nor can it be excused away as de rigueur or de facto evidence of our inevitable decline as a society. That's frankly loser think in Scott Adams' parlance, and a guarantee that all the terrible things people have done to each other in the past will occur again as checks against power ruthlessly applied wither to bullying. He says again, no system like this is without its flaws. At its heart, voting is a violent act to determine which tyrant rules not only you, but everyone else. So it should be used sparingly and with extreme caution. The idea that it should be frictionless is itself an open admission of a tyrannical impulse rather than a pay-in to egalitarian principles. Only people motivated to vote should vote. If that means a reasonable opportunity cost to execute that privilege, then so be it. Moreover, with a second authentication process like the Electoral College in place, it retards the impulse to cheat to win. And he says, this is why I want to see more Electoral College checks on voter fraud than fewer. I want the Electoral College used for my governor, my state rep, my county commissioners, and my sheriff elections. I want my counties here in Florida to have the power to check the fraud and, if necessary, disenfranchise the people of another county that refuses to conduct them that refuses to conduct themselves as upstanding members of the community. This would have stopped Broward County's legendary fraud machine dead in its tracks, and there would have been no need for Bush v. Gore in 2000. Cheaters don't get cookies. Because if we don't acknowledge our baser angels, then we are doomed to a cycle of violence, which will make the recent unpleasantness of 1861 to 1865 look like a convocation of Amish dairy farmers. He says, what scares me most is I believe that it is the intent of the people who perpetrated this fraud in the first place. Understand what he's saying? They want us fighting. 
This is what Texas is signaling with its suit, and it calls directly into question the validity and applicability of the Constitution in 2020 and beyond. If the Supreme Court fails to live up to its role as a guarantor of its move of its most basic function, arbiter between the several states, then what was settled law, ironically through the naked use of force when Lee surrendered at Appomattox, will be reconsidered. If we're going to have this consensual hallucination called government, then we should admit its flaws and ours in the open and build systems to determine who runs it, which are less susceptible to gamesmanship. Otherwise, what's the point of holding elections? They just become the ultimate opiate of the masses. He says, I'd go on about a blockchain-based voting system as a potential cure for what ails us, but that's a different subject for a different day. Today is about specifying what's wrong with our system, not offering implementations other than to argue the merits of what protections the Electoral College grant us against forces of naked aggression. The arguments against the Electoral College are simply veiled arguments against federalism. And he says, while I'm happy to entertain arguments against any coercive form of government, in the case of the U.S., our federal system is a flawed but robust system, which has given ground slowly to these political terrorists over the past couple hundred years. It's in a terminal state of collapse today, and the odds are long that it will survive these challenges in any practical sense. But he says, good on Texas for reminding us where the limits to power are and bringing up the real questions about where we are headed. Again, this is Thomas Luongo, a piece originally published in Gold, Goats, and Guns. Fantastic bit. I'm going to be sharing this one around on social media today. We're down to the closing moments of uh, this hour, so i got to jump to the chase here. I'm also including an article from Brad Palumbo. Well worth your time. New study, militarizing the police doesn't reduce crime. Federal program created by Congress more than 30 years ago has transferred 80,000 rifles, 12,000 bayonets, 4,000 combat knives, nearly 500 bomb detonator robots, 50 airplanes, night vision sniper scopes, and a lot more, including the uh, armored vehicles that police seem to be so fond of. You know, strictly for parades. I think uh, in southern Utah, one of, one of the police departments even, uh, what did they put on it? It was so Orwellian. It was just unbelievable. Something like uh, uh, citizen protection vehicle or something like it was public protection. Ve- anyway, no, it's, it's a military vehicle. It's a war fighting vehicle. But the bottom line is the 1033 program which allows the transfer of military equipment to police, which contributes in, to the, to the uh, ongoing effort to convert our peace officers into militarized enforcers, doesn't actually reduce crime, and it doesn't actually contribute to public safety. Well, now, Brian, that's not fair to say that it doesn't contribute to safety. Oh, it contributes uh, to the safety of the state and its enforcers, but I think that was the intent in the first place, right? We want to make them safe to enforce whatever cockamamie thing the state wants to impose on the people. That's not how it's supposed to work. You should check out the article. Again, it's from Brad Palumbo, and you'll find it in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show.